The following message is brought to you by George Lawson, Jr., pastor and Bible teacher with Baltimore Bible Church. We will be reading from the New American Standard Bible. For more information about this ministry, please visit us online at www.baltimorebiblechurch.org. So now let's open our Bibles and follow along with Pastor George as we loose the scriptures and let them speak. Uh, why don't you take your Bibles and uh, turn with me uh, to the book of Daniel. Uh, we're back in the book of uh, Daniel uh, today as uh, uh, we continue our journey uh, through this uh, wonderful uh, book. And uh, uh, this message uh, today, I know that our dearly departed sister Nazarene would have loved to hear uh, because not only was she a woman of prayer, uh, but she was a saint who believed in the reality of spiritual warfare. Uh, one of the exhortations that I would often hear from our sister is uh, that Satan is busy, but the people of God must pray. And uh, those were some of the, the last words of encouragement uh, that she uh, gave to me to share with the church uh, when I was with her um, uh, last uh, week uh, at her uh, uh, bedside in the, the hospital. And um, uh, she was just encouraging the people of God to pray. Uh, those were some of her last words of encouragement. And she was right about that uh, because we have an unseen enemy who is prowling around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And there are an untold number in the host of hell who would want nothing more uh, than to take the people of God down. And Daniel chapter 10 introduces us to the invisible war that is raging all around us. And we often talk about world history, but there's an otherworldly history that's running parallel to our history that intersects with our history and influences our history. And every once in a while, the scriptures pull back the curtain so that we can see what's going on behind the scenes. And there's much more that's going on than we could ever imagine. For example, we're all familiar with the book of, of Job. And from Job's perspective, what he was experiencing was of this world. A group of Sabaeans attacked his servants and slew them and took his oxen and donkeys the fire fell and consumed all of his sheep and the servants who watched them. The Chaldeans slew his servants and made a raid on his camels. A wind struck the four corners of the, the house of his firstborn child and killed all of the children in the rubble. And then he contracted a disease and it all seemed like it was so worldly. It was all of this world. But from the perspective of heaven, it was otherworldly. And there was something out of this world that's going on in the book of Job, and the book of Job pulls back the curtain so we can see what's behind the scenes. When Peter was approached by a young slave girl who asked him if he had been with Jesus, it just seemed like it was of this world. But that's not how Jesus interpreted it. Jesus warned Peter ahead of time, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. There was something otherworldly that was going on when that slave girl asked the question. There was something much more sinister and devilish that was going on behind the scenes. And when we read the book of, of Daniel, we find Daniel giving us the sweep of world history. He speaks about the various kingdoms that rise and fall, and on the surface, it can all seem like it's just of this world. But there's so much more that's going on behind the scenes than we could ever imagine. And the book of Daniel has already hinted at this unseen world back in chapter 7. If you remember uh, back in chapter 7, Daniel sees a vision of the kingdoms of the earth. But the kingdoms of the earth are described as these mutated beasts 
Lions with wings and leopards with four heads and terrifying creatures with iron teeth and horns with eyes. That's, that's not a natural description. It's, it's really a supernatural description that lets us know that there's much more than meets the eye, even in world history. There's something out of this world in the world that we live in. And that's made even more clear in chapter 8 where we have another description of the kingdoms of the earth. And one of the kings of Greece is described in terms that could be used to describe the supernatural. The physical king, Antiochus Epiphanes, is described. But listen to how he's described back in uh, chapter 8 and verses 9 and 10. It says, Out of one of them came forth a rather small horn, which grew exceedingly great toward the south, toward the east, and toward the beautiful land. It grew up to the host of heaven and caused some of the host and some of the stars to fall to the earth, and it trampled them down. And that's, that's a supernatural kind of description, isn't it? And why would you use terms like this to describe an earthly king? It's because the power behind this king was out of this world. It was supernatural. Listen to Daniel chapter 8 and verse 24. It says that his, his power will be mighty, but listen to this, not by his own power. And he will destroy to an extraordinary degree and prosper and perform his will. And he will destroy mighty men and holy people. He destroys, but with a power that is not his own. There's something supernatural that's at work, even in the earthly king. You know, demons don't all have fangs and horns. Some of them wear suits and ties, right? (laughs) And the same theme is continued in the vision that Daniel receives in chapter 10. Chapter 10 introduces us to the fourth and final vision that was given to Daniel, And in this second half of the book, Daniel receives a a vision in chapter 7, chapter 8, chapter 9. And then his last fourth vision is found in chapters 10 through 12. It's just one long, you know, uh, it all belongs together. It's just one long vision, one description. And this is the last vision. We're, We're at the last vision of Daniel. I mean, this is it. The fourth and final vision that was given to Daniel. And this is the longest of the four visions that he's received the most complete of the four visions that he's received. And out of all the four visions, it gives us the most complete picture of the unseen world out of all the visions that we've seen. Ultimately, the Lord is sovereign. We know that. The Lord's in control. But that doesn't mean that there's not danger and opposition that's lurking behind the scenes. And Daniel introduces us in this final vision to what's going on behind the scenes. In verse 1, he says, a message was revealed to Daniel who was named Belteshazzar and the message was true and one of great conflict. There's conflict. You know, the King James translates that word as as long, uh, but the the word that's used here is a word that was used for warfare. Conflict. It has a, a military connotation. It's used in the context of war and armies and danger. And what, what Daniel is saying is that there's there's danger behind the scenes. There's a conflict that's going on. There's an unseen battle that many of us don't realize. And that's what was revealed to Daniel in this vision, that there is a battle that rages behind the scenes that's just as real as any battle that you can document in history. And it's my prayer for us that as we jump into this vision, uh, that we would understand and have a better uh, appreciation and awareness of the the battle that rages. So let's take a look at Daniel chapter 10, starting at verse 1. It says, in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel, 
who was named Belteshazzar, again a a reminder of his uh, name in exile. And the message was true and one of great conflict, but he understood the message and had an understanding of the vision. Why don't you bow with me for a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, we uh, come before you, Lord, as we open up this text. And uh, Father, we do pray for wisdom, for insight that you would grant us direction, Lord, as we take a look at this text. Now, Father, that you would open up our eyes to behold wonderful things in your word. And now, Father, that you would uh, help us to be, be aware. Now, Father, that we would be mindful, uh, that we would be prepared for the battle that each of us face. Now, Father, I pray that now we would hold on to Christ, that we would look to him, the author and finisher of our faith. In Jesus' name, we praise you and give you thanks. Amen. The first thing that we need to see as we look at this vision is uh, to, to place it within its proper historical setting. So, so here we're taking a look at the surrounding situation. What's, what's going on around this vision? You know, the first thing that Daniel lets us know here is that when he received this vision, uh, that it was the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia. And that's significant because what that means is that the decree for the Jewish people to return and rebuild the temple has already taken place. If you were to flip over to the book of of Ezra, in Ezra uh, chapter 1, back in Ezra chapter 1, you would see this. In Ezra chapter 1, I'll go ahead and read it for you. It says in Ezra chapter 1, starting at verse 1, that now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he sent a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing, saying, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build him a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever there is among you of all his people, may his God be with him. Let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. And over 42,000 Jewish people returned. It talks about that in chapter 1. But... uh, That was only a very small remnant who remained in Babylon. It was only a small remnant of those who were still living in Babylon. And the book of Ezra lets us know that even though the altar was reconstructed on the house of of God, the house of God wasn't constructed. (laughs) The altar was there, but the house of God wasn't built up around it. And the work was hindered because there was opposition to the people of God in the land. In Ezra chapter 4, it says this, it says, Then the people of the land discouraged the people of Judah, frightened them from building, hired counselors against them to frustrate their counsel all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. And it was back in Babylon who's listening to this news that the people of God are being thwarted, that there's opposition, that the people of God are being discouraged from the work. Who's back in Babylon who's listening to this? Daniel is. And as Daniel is listening to all the difficulties that faced his people back in Judah, he goes back into prayer. If you remember back in Daniel chapter 9, in the first year of Cyrus, Daniel was praying that the Lord would hear, that the Lord would forgive, that the Lord would listen, take action. Bring the people back, Lord. Bring the people back. Because these are your people. This is your city. Lord, bring them back. And now there are people back, but the opposition is fierce. And the temple is not being constructed. It's been brought to a screeching halt. The temple is just a pile of rocks. The city is buried underneath the rubble. And many of the people seem content with just letting it go. They're discouraged. 
They're walking away from it. And if you're Daniel and you hear about that kind of opposition and apathy towards the work of the Lord, what do you do? You go to the Lord in prayer. You keep praying, which is exactly what he does. Look back in Daniel chapter 10 again in verse 2. It says, in those days I, Daniel, had been mourning for three entire weeks. This is the sorrowful supplication before the Lord. I'd been mourning for three entire weeks. I did not eat any tasty food, nor did meat or wine enter my mouth, nor did I use any ointment at all until the entire three weeks weeks were completed. So here we have Daniel in mourning again, just like we have in chapter 9. He's mourning again. This is the same posture that he had in, in prayer as he longed for the people to return to the land. Now he continues in grief for God's people, so much so that he abstains from food. And the text specifies that he did not eat any delicacies or tasty food like the meat or wine during this time. Uh, But we know that when Daniel arrived in Babylon that he was already accustomed to refraining from eating the, the king's meat and the choice wine. He was used to eating vegetables and drinking water for his diet. So either he returned to this original diet or what's more likely is that he refrained from all of it and only took that which was absolutely necessary to survive. And he's expressing with his body what he's feeling in his soul. He's in desperation spiritually. He doesn't even have uh, the, uh, the, the heart to enjoy the simple comforts of life, like food or even self-care. It says, nor did I use any ointment at all until the entire three weeks were completed in verse 3. Ointment was uh, what was used in the ancient uh, Near East to moisturize and soften the skin, protect themselves from the hot sun, especially after a a bath. But Daniel denied himself even the most basic comforts of life. He's in pain over the condition of his people, and he's basically saying, if they can't be comforted, neither will I be. I'm distressed for my people. How can I comfort myself when they remain oppressed? Oil was a a symbol of, of gladness and Psalm 104, 15, Proverbs 27, 9, Isaiah 61, 3. But Daniel says, I'll take the ashes instead of the garland. I'll take mourning instead of the oil of gladness. In chapter 10 and verse 4, it lets us know that he did this until the 24th day of the first month. 24th day of the first month would have been during the season of Passover, the season of unleavened bread. And Daniel chose to fast during a time that was normally celebrated by eating. And it just highlights that Daniel believed that the celebration was inappropriate while the people languished. The Passover was a celebration of deliverance. But what kind of deliverance is there when the people are so oppressed? It says, while I was on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted my eyes and looked. So here he is physically at the, the Tigris River, still in Babylon. He lifts up his eyes and all of a sudden he's struck by a vision. Look at verse 5. It says, I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, there was a certain man dressed in linen, whose waist was girded with the belt of pure gold of Uphaz. His body was like beryl. His face had the appearance of lightning. His eyes were like flaming torches. His arms and feet like the gleam of polished bronze and the sound of his words like the sound of a tumult. This is just an incredible sight here. And it's understandable that interpreters struggle with making a proper identification of who this heavenly visitor is. Because there are some striking similarities between this visitor and another heavenly visitor. Why don't you flip over to the book of uh, Revelation, Revelation chapter 1. The Apostle John receives a 
a visitor. And he describes that visitation that he had. And we find some striking similarities between what we read in the book of Revelation and what we read in Daniel chapter 10. Take a look at uh, Revelation chapter 1, starting at verse, verse 10. Actually, I'll start at verse 9. I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance which are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And I heard behind me a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet saying, write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the middle of the lampstands, I saw one like a son of man, clothed in a robe, reaching to the feet and girded across his chest with a golden sash. His head and his hair were, like, were white like wool, like snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze when it has been, uh, has been made to glow in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in its strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man, and he placed his right hand on me, saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first, and I am the last. If you notice the similarities there, you have the robe, the golden sash, the lighted face, the eyes like fire, the skin like polished bronze, the voice like many waters, it's all the same. And it's because of these similarities that many interpreters believe that Daniel received more than just one visitor on that day in Daniel chapter 10, that Daniel actually received more than one visitor, and that the first visitor that Daniel received was in fact a pre-incarnate appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. There was a, a visitor that represented a man, and uh, Dan, uh, Daniel chapter 10, verses 16 and 18 speak about that. There's a man who came to strengthen him after he saw the vision, but then that's distinct from the vision itself that he saw. And then the vision, what Daniel had the opportunity to see was the capital A, angel of the Lord, the pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. And we know that there were times when an angel appeared, but he was more than just an angel. There were times when an angel was actually considered to be God himself. For example, over in Genesis chapter 18, there were three men who visited Abraham on their way to Sodom. Two of them were angels, and Genesis 19 says that two angels came to Sodom. But there was a third angel who was there, and in Genesis 18.22, it says the men turned away from there, went toward Sodom, while Abraham was still standing before the Lord. One of those three visitors that came to Abraham, the Bible says, was the Lord. Exodus chapter 3, we're told that the angel of the Lord appeared to Moses from the midst of a burning bush. Exodus chapter 3, verse 2, it says the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush. But then verse 4 says, in Exodus chapter 3 and verse 4, when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush. God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. It was an angel that was more than just an angel. Joshua chapter 5, the angel of the Lord appears before Joshua, preparing to attack Jericho, and he identifies himself in Joshua chapter 5 and verse 15. It says, the captain of the Lord's host said to Joshua, remove your sandals from your feet, 
for the place which you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. That was an angel that was more than just an angel. And in Judges chapter 6, Gideon is standing before the angel of the Lord who said that the Midianites would be given over to him in battle. And while speaking with the angel in verse 16 of, Joshua, uh, of Judges chapter 6, it says, But the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat Midian as one man. It says that the Lord spoke to him. Again, you have an angel who's more than just an angel. And could it be that this visitor that Daniel receives in Daniel chapter 10 was a vision of more than just an angel? And many interpreters, including myself, believe so. Daniel is in many ways like the prophet Isaiah, who's mourning over his people. He's, he's defeated. He's looking for answers. He's looking for stability. And all of a sudden, he looks up, and what does he see? I see the Lord. <laughs> Very similar to what we have in the book of Isaiah. You have uh, this visitor who's dressed in a linen garment. The linen was the, the garment for the priests. And while the temple was torn down, there's this reminder that they still have a high priest. There was one who was still their priest. There's a golden sash that came around this visitor of pure gold, a symbol of royalty. Priests wore a sash of blue and purple, but this was a higher quality than the priests wore. Beryl or topaz is believed to be a translucent yellow stone that would have gleamed in the brilliance of the light of his presence. The light of his face is similar to what we find in the, the glory of God and the transfiguration with Jesus Christ. Matthew 17 speaks about that. The flaming eyes of fire is symbolic of the, the penetrating judgment that flows from the throne of God. Daniel 7 speaks about that. And the bronze feet and the voice like a, a, a tumult speak of power. Is this nothing more than just an angel <laughs> with all of this? Like I mentioned, interpreters are divided here, but Daniel's response to this vision is the exact same response that the apostle John had when he saw the Lord. When he saw the Lord, he fell at his feet like a dead man. And what do we find in Daniel chapter 10 and verse 9? But I heard the sound of his words, and as soon as I heard the sound of his words, I fell into a deep sleep on my face with my face to the ground. Completely passed out, became undone, fell at his feet like a dead man. And we don't know who else was with Daniel at this time, but uh, there was a startled reaction. Even though they didn't see the vision, there was still a sense of the holy. <laughs> Look at verse, verse 7. It says, now I, Daniel, alone saw the vision while the men who were with me did not see the vision. Nevertheless, a great dread fell on them and they ran away to hide themselves. I mean, something is going on here. I don't know what's happening in this place, but I'm out. <laughs> I'm out of here. Like a dread fell upon them. And all of a sudden they see Daniel just drop like he's dead. It's like, okay, that's, that's all I need to see. I'm out. I don't know what's going on here. Who are these men? What did they experience? We don't know all the details. But whatever it was, they were overcome by the presence of the holy and became terrified. Daniel was undone. Verse 8, it says, So I was left alone and saw this great vision, yet no strength was left in me, for my natural color turned to a deathly pallor, and I retained no strength. All of the blood immediately left his face. All of his strength immediately escaped his body. He just wilted away in the presence of holiness. And the next thing that he knew, he was face first in the dirt. Verse 9 says, but I heard the sound of his words, and as soon as I heard the sound of his words, I fell into a deep sleep on my face. 
with my face to the ground. What was the point of this, this overwhelming and shocking presence? If Daniel was concerned at all about the people of the land who were oppressing Israel, all he had to do was look to this one. <laughs> if you're worried about the powers that be out there, just look to this one. This is where you need to keep your eyes fixed on. Just look up. And there's no comparison when we consider the resources that are on our side. No comparison. The people of God are never outmanned or outgunned. Even Jesus, when he was arrested in the garden, Matthew 26 and 53, he says, or, or do you not think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? You, you, you think we're outmanned and outgunned here? All I have to do is say the word. Like there are more resources on our side, more at our disposal than anything that anybody can bring. Don't, don't worry about these people in the land that are oppressing the people of God. You know, greater is he who is with us, right? You think I lack the resources to handle this? Nobody could take Jesus' life from him. There was a plan for it to happen this way. Jesus was in complete control even over the circumstances of his death. Complete control. John 18, Jesus, knowing all things were coming upon him. John 18 and verse 4. Went forth and said to them, whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus the Nazarene. He said to them, I am he. And Judas also, who was betraying him, was standing with them. So when he said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Like, don't, don't think that you're coming here to take me by force, okay? Let, let me let you know who's truly in charge. Nobody can overpower the resources of heaven. Another illustration that you might remember is in uh, 2 Kings chapter 6. If you want to flip back there, 2 Kings chapter 6. Elisha was uh, prophetically warning Israel about Syria's battle plans. And uh, Syria, or Aram as they're also known, got wind that there was a, a prophetic informant. Some, somebody's letting Israel know what our plans are before we're able to execute it. Like, can somebody tell me who's on Israel's side here? Like, what, what kind of spy do we have going on here? You know, who's the double agent? Somebody is here that's giving away the goods. There's a prophetic informant. Second Kings chapter 6. Take a look at verse 13. Verse 13. Actually, I'll start at verse 11. <laughs> I always do that. Now the heart of the king of Aram was enraged over this thing. And he called the servants and said to them, Will you tell me which of us is for the king of Israel? One of the servants said, No, my lord, O king, but Elisha the prophet who is in Israel tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. You're not even safe in your bedroom, king. So he said, Go and see where he is that I may send and take him. And it was told him, saying, Behold, he is in Dothan. He sent horses and chariots and a great army there, and they came by night and surrounded the city. Now when the attendant of the man of God had risen early and gone out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was circling the city. And a servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? So he answered, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And the servant's like, What are you, like, what side of the bed did you get up on this morning? What are you talking about we have more people than they do? Like, I'm counting two. And here, this army is approaching us. And he says, don't, don't worry, there's more who are with us than are with them. Then Elisha prayed, verse 17, and said, O Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. 
And the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. We, we, we have more resources at our disposal. Greater is he who is within you than he who is within the world. But don't take this as some kind of guarantee that you'll never find yourself in a fiery furnace or never find yourself in a lion's den or that you'll never have your own cross to carry. But don't think for a second that God has been outmanned or outgunned if you do find yourself in that circumstance. I love what uh, Martin Luther said. He said, God plus one is a majority. God plus one is a majority. And it was George Whitfield who said that uh, even while he experienced much opposition for his preaching, he says, we are immortal until our work on earth is done. Take courage. The Lord of hosts is with us. In Romans chapter 8, verse 31, if God is for us, who is against us? Who is against us? One of the most uh, recounted stories about angels helping believers involves the missionary John G. Patton, who ministered in the, the New Hebrides Islands. And one evening, John and his wife were surrounded by hostile natives who were intent on burning the Patton's hut and killing the missionaries. John Patton says he and his wife spent a terror-filled evening desperately praying for God's supernatural deliverance. When daylight came, John says they looked out the window and mysteriously, the hostile natives had disappeared. About a year later, the chief of that tribe was converted to faith in Christ and John Patton, remembering what had happened that evening, asked the chief why they did not attack them that night. The chief seemed surprised and said it was because of the men who were surrounding the hut. Perplexed, John said there was... There were no men surrounding our hut. The chief insisted, oh, yes, there were. We saw hundreds of men in bright, shining garments standing before your hut with swords drawn, ready to protect you. We didn't dare invade. And just like Joshua was strengthened and saw, when he saw the captain of the Lord's host, Daniel was to be strengthened by seeing a vision of the Lord. See, see who, who's the captain of your army. See who's the, who's the captain of the, the host of, of heaven. You've had, you have more with you than are with them. And we can be strengthened because we're, we're standing on holy ground if we're with the Lord, right? Verse 10 moves us from the startled reaction to the supporting angel. The supporting angel. In verse 10, back in uh, Daniel chapter 10 again. It says after he's laid out, face down, that he... He has a hand that touches him on the back. And this, this, is, this seems to be a, a, another visitor, not the, the vision that he saw, but somebody that comes to wake him up after he's already passed out from the vision. So here you have this, this angel who appears as a man. It speaks about that in verse 16. It says, behold, one who resembled a human being. In verse 18, then this one with human appearance touched me again. So you have somebody that looks like a man, and then somebody with uh, flaming, you know, uh, fire coming out of his eyes and, you know, skin like bronze and, you know, uh, you know uh, shining like uh, lightning. I mean, you've, you've got two different people here. You've got one that looks like a human and one that looks like something out of this world. So here you have the supporting angel, verse 10. It says, then behold, an aim, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And you've got to get the, the picture in mind. He's flat out laying on the ground, face down, and a hand comes to touch him. Hey, hey, get up. It's okay, get up. And tries to pick him up, and he's, you know, kind of scooting himself up on his 
hands and his knees, trembling still. And he said to me in verse 11, O Daniel, man of high esteem, understand the words that I'm about to tell you and stand upright for I have now been sent to you. So I've, I've just now come to you. You know, I, I see you laid out and I've just now come to you. So he's introducing himself. I have now been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. By this time, Daniel's an old man, somewhere in his mid-80s, if not pushing 90. Like I said, he's been in Babylon for nearly 70 years. He was taken when he was a teen, and now he's an old man, completely covered in dirt now because of the vision that he's just seen. He's shaking, and the angel says, you're a man of high esteem. It's like, are we talking about the same one here? You know, the old man that just did the face plant, he's the man of high esteem, the one that's laid out on the ground. That's the man of high esteem? Yep. This is what a man of high esteem looks like. You're never greater than when you're completely laid out in the presence of God. That's what a great man looks like. A great man looks like he understands who's the, who's the mighty one. Laid out in the presence of God, that's the mighty man. That's the man of high esteem. Don't be afraid. Peace be with you. Take courage and be courageous. Daniel is highly esteemed. He's greatly loved. And what we so frequently find in the life of, of Daniel, that he was committed to prayer. He was a man of prayer. And the surprising revelation was that Daniel's prayers were making ripples in heaven. Look at verse 12. The surprising revelation. Look at verse 12. This is then he said to me, Do not be afraid, Daniel, from, from the first day that you set your heart on understanding this, and on humbling yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia was withstanding me for 21 days. Then behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left there with the kings of Persia. Now I've come to give you an understanding of what will happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision pertains to the days yet future. The angel that shows up after the vision reassures Daniel that you've got nothing to fear, which is a good thing to be reminded of if you're approached by an angel. You know, hey, I'm not, I'm not here for you. You need to know, are they here to pick me up or take me out, you know? No, Daniel, I'm not here for you. But I've come in response to your words. From the first day that you set your heart on understanding this and on humbling yourself, that's a reference to fasting, since the first day that you've set your heart on this, I was already being sent. Like, like the message was already on the way. Your words were heard. I've come in response to your words. He's been heard in heaven. Back in Daniel chapter 9, we find that, that Gabriel responded to Daniel's prayers. While he was still praying, he received the answer. Remember that back in chapter 9? But now it takes 21 days. Like, like who's holding up the mail, right? What's the delay? 21-day delay. What, what was the delay for? Look at verse 13. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia with, was withstanding me for 21 days. He's, he's not opposing the vision that he just saw. The king of Persia has nothing to do with that. But for this angel, the, the king of Persia with, withheld me. He was withstanding me for 21 days. Then behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left there with the kings of Persia. Now I've come to give you an understanding of what will happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision pertains to the days yet future. What's this all about? Who is this prince of the kingdom of Persia who is withstanding this angel for 21 days? And, and, and Michael has to come and help you? I mean, like, angels need help? I mean, what's going on with that? 
And what this lets us know is that there's a lot more going on behind the scenes than we could ever understand. And obviously the, the, the prince of the kingdom of Persia is an angelic figure because a physical prince can't stop him. And this prince of Persia is a powerful angel because it took the archangel Michael to come and get involved. And he's an evil angelic creature because he's opposing the purposes of God. But what is clear is that evil angelic forces have been assigned to empires and kingdoms. There's an unseen otherworldly history that's running parallel to our history that intersects with our history, interferes with our history, and influences our history. And this is just one example, and Daniel had no idea of what was going on behind the scenes. When Daniel was praying about the temple being destroyed, he's praying about the people of God being opposed, the return of the people of God to Jerusalem. Did he have any idea that behind the scenes angels were battling it out? A prince of Persia, superpower angel, had to be dealt with while angels are doing battle, and that reports are coming from the battlefield to Daniel? He had no idea about all of that. We know so little about what goes on behind the scenes, but there's an unseen world of creation out there, right? Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 says, For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. There's unseen dominions and rulers and authorities out there, including this prince of Persia. There's invisible thrones and dominions, just as real as our presidents and governors and mayors and congressmen. There are these real office holders in the demonic realm. Ephesians 6 verse 12 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against what? Rulers, powers, against world forces of darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4 lets us know that there is a God of this world who's blinded the minds of the unbelieving so they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. So there's a, a God of this world and there's princes of this nation, that nation. Beneath the God of this world, there's rulers and powers and world forces of darkness, spiritual wickedness, an entire unseen world of wickedness. And the prince of Persia is just one among many. Incredible to think about. But this is what's so encouraging about this text. It was Daniel's simple prayer for his people that set the heavens in motion. Do you, do you get that? It was Daniel's simple prayer for his people that set all this activity into motion. From the time that he prayed, this particular angel was dispatched to respond to Daniel with a message. And this flurry of activity started swirling around. Prince of Persia withstood him. Michael sent to do battle. And for the most part, I mean, Daniel's just here ignorant of all of that's going on. And for the most part, we're ignorant of all that's going on, right? And it's foolish to pretend like we understand all that's happening behind the scenes. It's foolish. I'm not sure if you've uh, ever seen that video that circulated with uh, Paula White, false teacher. She's some kind of spiritual advisor to the former president. And she has a video where she's attempting to command angels. Commanding angels. She said, I hear the sound of victory. Angels are being dispatched. And right now, and then she starts naming off different angel names that she came up with. Habata, Ata, Rata, Dida, Santa, Apa, Osa. It's like, who in the world told you any of this? 
you know, ticky ticky tumbo, no saw rumbo, you know. And then she gets into it. Angels are being dispatched right now from Africa, right now. Africa, right now. They're coming here in the name of Jesus from South America. And angelic reinforcements. I hear the sound of victory. You don't think that Africa and South America need their angels? You're going to bring them from there? You know, you need reinforcements and going to steal Africa's angels? You know, why do you think they need to abandon what they're doing to come and help you? You don't have enough resources? You need to take theirs? I mean, what's, what's going on? I remember growing up, the, the book by Frank Peretti, Piercing the Darkness, where demons are almost like gremlins doing the, all kinds of mischief beneath your car hood and everything else. A fiction book, but it changed the way that many people started thinking about the demonic realm. You know, it's everywhere. It's under the rock. Where is he at? You know, got to find him. You know, don't feed him after midnight. You know, it's just... We can't know all that's going on behind the scenes. We, we don't know. <laughs> Daniel didn't know. And Daniel is never told, you know, Daniel, you need to start praying for Michael. Would you please pray for Michael? That's not what he was asked to do. No, it's, it's your simple prayer for the people of God, and, and heaven takes care of its business. You don't need to try to peer behind the darkness, pierce the darkness to try to figure out what's going on behind there. That's not your job. You know, you're not out here commanding, you know, ata, bata, rata, tiki, tiki, tembo, you know, let me tell you what to do, where to go. You're not doing that. It would be foolish and ignorant to think that you can figure out what's going on behind the scenes. That's not your job. But it would also be foolish and ignorant not to think that there's anything going on behind the scenes, right? Because our struggle is not against flesh and blood. But what are we given in Ephesians chapter 6? We're given the normal means of grace, given the word of God, prayer, faith, trusting in the Lord. Like, that's what we do. And we're not ignorant of Satan's devices. We know how Satan works. We're not ignorant of his schemes. We should be aware that there's an unseen enemy, and we shouldn't be ignorant of the way that he works. He seeks to divide us. He seeks to distract us. He seeks to discourage us. He seeks to deceive us. And we could go on and on, couldn't we? Do you only look at what's earthly and fail to recognize that there's something otherworldly going on behind what people are doing? Do you think your enemies are just people? Like, this person did that. I can't believe they did that. And look at them over there. Do you, do you think that's all that's going on? Or do you know that there's something else that's at work? You know, with the division and distraction and discouragement and deception. No, there's something else that's going on. There's something else that's at work. And I don't fight that with earthly means. That's, that's not how I'm going to win this kind of battle. Like God has given me other resources to fight that kind of battle. That's not going to be something that I can, you know, pick up a phone and just take care of. <laughs> no, you need to get on your knees and take care of that, right? And the answer is not to figure out what the spirit is over what area. And that's not your job. Your job is to pray. With, with the, the issues that you're facing in, in life right now, have you taken the same amount of time to pray about it as you do in talking to other people about it? Do you get on your knees and say, you know what? I know that this is much larger than what I'm seeing. There, there's something that's going on behind what I'm seeing. And that's where I need to spend my time. I need to pray. I need to pray. 
you know, and, and, and Daniel, he doesn't say, you know, we need to, you know, rally around. I need to, you know, sign this petition. I need to get that in action. I need to call this and do that because the people of God over here are being opposed. That's not what he does. The first thing he does is he prays. Like, that's where I need to go. And, and directing angels isn't going to help me out with this. You know, even, you know, Michael, you know, the name for, for Michael means who is like our God. <laughs> you know, so I don't go to Michael, I go to God. You know, that, that's where I'm going to find help, right? Michael is one of the guardian angels over Israel. He's called one of the chief princes. He's called your prince. It's called the great prince that stands guard over the sons of your people. But Michael's just an angel. And, he, and he's dispatched by the Lord. You go to the Lord. And the Lord will take care of Michael. Find in Jude that Michael disputes with Satan over the body of Moses. But what does he say? The Lord rebuke you, Satan. <laughs> the Lord rebuke you. We go to the Lord. We go to the Lord for these things. And Michael will once again defend Israel. Why don't you flip over to Revelation chapter 12 really quick. Revelation chapter 12. He's connected here with the guardianship of Israel. Look at Revelation 12. I'll start at verse 1. It says, A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and her head, a crown of 12 stars. She was with child and she cried out, being in labor and pain to give birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, the great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads were seven diadems. And his tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth and the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she gave birth he might devour her child and she gave birth to a son a male child who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron and her child was caught up to God and to his throne and what child was that we're talking about Jesus and the woman here is not Mary it's talking about Israel verse 6 says then the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God so that there she would be nourished for 1,260 days. That's three and a half years. We learned about that in Daniel chapter 9. And there was war in heaven, Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon. So Michael is the defender again, the guardian angel. Waging war with the dragon, the dragon and his angels waged war, and they were not strong enough, and there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. Michael will again defend Israel. And there's this ongoing just intersection between the unseen world and the seen world. The kingdoms of Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome, all intersected with the unseen world behind it. And there's this constant overlap. And back in Daniel, Daniel chapter 10, it lets us know that this angel was among the, the kings of Persia, maybe even a reference to the physical kings of Persia. Uh, Cyrus and his son uh, Cambyses were both kings, but the prince of Persia was the angel behind them. And Michael came to help out so that this message could get to Daniel. And now this angel was released. He comes with a message for Daniel about his people, about the latter days. He says, this pertains to the days yet future. And this, this is incredible. I mean, how, how, would you, how would you respond if you discovered that your prayers were somehow being used to affect cosmic battles and impact kingdoms of people? How would you respond? Exactly. Look at chapter 10. Look at verse 15. 
When he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and became speechless. Like, what do you say to that? What do you say to that? He's speechless. I, I, don't, I don't even know what to say here. And behold, one who resembled a human being was touching my lips like, you know, let it out. Come on, like, open your mouth. Then I opened my mouth and spoke and said to him who was standing before me, Oh, my Lord, a, a term of respect, not a term for deity here. It says, Oh, my Lord, as a result of the vision, anguish has come upon me, and I have retained no strength. Like, I'm still thinking about what I just saw. <laughs> I'm still thinking about that, that person who just revealed himself to me. I'm, I'm still overwhelmed with that. I don't even know what to say here. I don't have any strength. For how can such a servant of my Lord talk with such as my Lord? As for me, there remains just now no strength in me, nor has any breath been left in me. The prophet is speechless. Like I said, he's still trying to get over the vision that he saw, which again is another clue that uh, the vision isn't of the angel who's speaking to him, but of what he's just seen. Like, I'm still trying to get over that. I'm thinking about that vision I just saw. And whatever strength he had was just wiped out. So you have this stunned response. He's stunned. But then he's strengthened. He's strengthened for, uh, to give a, a response here in verse 18. It says, then this one with human appearance touched me again and strengthened me. You know, somehow supernaturally strengthened by an angel. He said, oh man of high esteem, do not be afraid. Peace be with you. Take courage. Be courageous. You know, everything's going to be all right. Now, as soon as he spoke to me, I received strength and said, may my Lord speak for you have strengthened me. And he said, do you understand why I came to you? He's already actually answered that question. You know, back in verse 14, you know, I've come to give you this, you know, word about your people. But it's almost like, you know, hey, you know, like, tell me your name again. You know, how many fingers am I holding up? <laughs> it's like, are, are you with me? Do you understand why I came to you? But I shall now return to fight against the prince of Persia. You know, I'm going back to Michael. I've got to give him some help. So I'm going forth, and behold, the prince of Greece is about to come. Again, it's not over. More is to come. However, I will tell you what is inscribed in the writing of truth. I've got a message. Yet there is no one who stands firmly with me against these forces except Michael, your prince. And again, Michael is here designated as this guardian angel of Israel with this unnamed angel, maybe of equal rank, but another warrior angel who fights alongside of him. And this is what he says in uh, chapter 11. Actually, chapter 11, verse 1, finishes chapter 10. It says in, a, uh, actually reading it together from verse 21, However, I will tell you what is inscribed in the writing, yet there is no one who stands firmly with me against these forces except Michael your prince. In the first year of Darius the Mede, I arose to be an encouragement and a protection for him. This is the angel still talking about being an encouragement and protection for Michael. It all belongs to, together. It's like there's this unseen battle that's raging, and I've got to get back to the battlefield, but I've got a message that I need to deliver you while I'm here. And I'm going to tell you this word of truth. What's the truth? It's inscribed in the writing of truth or reliable writing. In verse 21, I'll, I'm, I'll, however, I will tell you what is inscribed in the writing of truth. You know, presumably there's this book that contains a course of history for the nations, and particularly the, the Hebrews as God's people. Have a, a, it's, it's in writing. And these angels are aware of what's to come. And the angels ensure that what's written down happens. And there's unholy angels that are trying to prevent from what's going to happen from happening. 
So there's a battle that's going on, but we've got it in the book. This is what's going to happen. We know what's going to happen, and I'm going to share it with you. And if you want to hear what he shared, you'll have to come back next week. But, but here he is. He says, I'm about to share this message with you, but I've got to share it quick because I've got to get back to the battlefield. These angels are aware of the truth. And here's, here's the beauty about what's revealed here, what he's about to reveal, that, that what's in this writing, this heavenly writing, uh, that it's not going to be stopped. Nobody's going to prevent this from happening. This is the truth. That's what he says, right? I will tell you what is inscribed in the writing of truth. You want to know what's the truth about what's to come? It's here. And I'm going to share it with you. I'm going to share the truth with you about what's to come, which means that it's not going to be altered. So, so yeah, we have a role to play, but we're not going to change the outcome. Like what God says is going to happen is going to happen. So, so what, what I'm about to tell you is the truth. And the Prince of Persia is not going to stop it. I still have a job to do, but he's not going to stop it. And the angels declared that there's one who rules over the realm of mankind back in Daniel chapter 4 and verse 17, if you remember back there, where the sovereignty of God was declared. It says, this sentence is by the decree of the angelic watchers, and the decision is a command of the holy ones, in order that the living may know that the most high is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whom he wishes and sets over it the lowliest of men. God is still in charge. He's written it down in the book. You're not going to change it. God's will will be performed. And the angels, they're watching history. They're making history. But it's always his story, right? It's always going to just roll out exactly like God designed it. We've got a role to play in it. Angels have a role to play in it. But this is God's story. And God's going to accomplish what he's going to accomplish. And it's all working out according to his design. There's, there's a lot in this chapter. This, this chapter is exciting. There's so much that we can take away from a passage like this. But let me just point out a couple things that we can walk away with today, okay? Number one, don't underestimate the power of your prayers. Don't underestimate the power of your prayers. Daniel did not specifically pray for angels. Nowhere are we commanded to pray for angels. But his prayers upheld angelic forces. Imagine that. Incredible to think about that prayers have some kind of cosmic significance. And what is it that does not happen? What does not happen when we fail to pray? You ever think about that? Does anyone come to you because you pray? What battle lines are you sustaining because of your prayer? There's somebody else holding that up for you, right? Don't underestimate the power of your prayer. And don't underestimate the power of one person who prays. I mean, all this happened because one person was praying. Daniel was praying. The angel arrived when Daniel began to pray. I've come because I'm responding to you. Just one person. Who's going to faithfully stand in the gap? Nazarene was a faithful prayer warrior. Who's going to take her place? Who's going to be the person who's going to faithfully pray for this church and for the unity of this church? She was always praying for that. Who's going to be the one who prays for that now? One person prays. I love that, that, that uh, statement, you know, Satan trembles when he sees the weakest saint upon his knees. That could be you, but you can be faithful, faithful to pray. Don't fail to be persistent in your prayers. Sometimes we can think that God's not hearing because we don't see the answer immediately. God was responding from the first time that Daniel prayed. You know, it took 21 days to get the response to him, to get the message, but God was already responding. 
don't, don't, don't lose heart. Don't become discouraged because like, hey, I, I prayed for that like last week and it's still not happening yet. I give up. You know, this prayer thing's not working out. No, you, you keep praying. Be persistent. Keep praying. God's listening. Keep praying. Luke chapter 18, Jesus says he was telling this parable to show them that at all times they ought to pray and not lose heart. Continue to pray. And later on, he says, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Uh, am I going to find people still praying? Or have you given up? Because you didn't get the answer that you wanted right away. So don't, don't fail to be persistent in prayer. Don't attempt to fight spiritual battles with natural means. Ephesians 6, verse 12, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. That's, that's where the true battle is raging, right? When Daniel heard about the woes in Jerusalem, you know, like I said, he didn't attempt to form a committee, send an envoy, organize a rally. He prayed. You know, there's much more that we understand is going on behind the scenes than we realize. I need to pray. The things that I want to see changed, I need to pray about it. And you might be able to do more after you pray, but you can't do more until you pray. And what are you attempting to do in the arm of the flesh that can only be accomplished by the Spirit of God? What are you attempting to do? Where are you going? Who are you trusting in? Do you think you're going to make it all work out? Number four, remember that the battle belongs to the Lord. The battle belongs to the Lord. Even Michael understood that. You know, that, that his power was infinitely small in comparison to the Lord. You know, Satan, I'm not even going to mess with you today. The Lord rebuke you. The Lord rebuke you. There's nobody like my God. Even Michael's name reminded us of that, right? Who is like my God? That's what Michael means. Who is like my God? There's nobody like the Lord. Who is like the Lord? It's not our job to go around rebuking demons, sending angels this way, that way, stealing them from Africa. Leave them alone. Our job is to pray and to trust the Lord. That's our job. And when the Lord shows up, where do we go? We go flat on our faces, right? Recognize who's, who's the one who's, who's truly in charge. Who's the true sovereign here? Flat on my face in the presence of God. That's, that's the great man right there. Flat on his face before the Lord, laid out. That's the man of high esteem. That's the man who's greatly loved. That's the guy, the guy who's laid out before the Lord. The Lord will one day reveal his power. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 says the Lord Jesus in verse 7 the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God, to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. And these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. The Lord's going to show up one day. The Lord's going to show up. And when he shows up, he will be glorified. He will be glorified. And the enemies of Christ will run to hide themselves, hide from the presence of the Lamb. Just like these men who are around Daniel, it's like, scoot it out of there. Like, the holiness is here, I'm out. Trying to run from the presence of the Lord, but you can't run and you can't hide. The Lord's going to come back one day. Are you ready for that? Are you ready for that? The Lord's coming back. And I'll just share one, one last story before we close our time together. Um, when I was with Nazarene in the, in the hospital, she was sharing her testimony with me. And one of the things that she shared was uh, that while she was in Venezuela, that uh, 
there was a friend that she had that brought her to a house. And uh, while she was in the house, she says, you know, we practice voodoo here. And she says, you know, we're, we're going to practice voodoo and, you know, uh, there's a room over here and you can stay in that room, but we're going to go over here and we're going to practice this, this voodoo. So Nazarene, you know, at the time she was a believer, you know, and she's kind of by herself and she goes into the room and then she starts praying. She says, Lord, I just pray that you mess them up. <laughs> I pray that you mess them up. You know, so she just stays in her room by herself and keeps praying. And she says later on, her friend came to the, came to the room and she says, you've ruined everything. <laughs> are, are you going to be the kind of person who prays and ruins everything? Ruins everything for, uh, uh, for, for the, uh, the world of wickedness out there because I'm going to be faithful and I'm just going to pray. Lord, would you mess them up? Mess them up, Lord. You've ruined everything. You, you, you've done it. The prayers of a righteous man availeth much. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, so much for uh, this time that we've had together. We thank you for your word. Uh, your word is so rich, Lord. It's so powerful. Uh, Father, there's so much that we don't know, but we thank you for what you've revealed to us. And uh, you've given us uh, enough uh, for life and for godliness. And uh, we don't know how, have, have to know how to command angels to be powerful in prayer. And uh, Father, you've just asked us to be uh, faithful, uh, to be consistent, to persevere. Now, Father, that we'd show up, that we'd stand in the gap. Now, Father, we pray that we would uh, pray for those circumstances that we find ourselves in, uh, that we'd recognize that there's much more going on behind the scenes than, than we realize, and that the, the place where we do battle is on our knees. Now, so, Father, remind us of these things. And remind us that the, uh, the world of wickedness trembles when it sees the weakest saint upon his knees. And it's not because of our strength, it's not because of us, it's because of who we're connected to. Because we too are connected to that one who showed up and made Daniel fall flat on his face, the, the captain of the, the, the host, the armies of God under his power, under his control. The same Christ who said that all he'd have to do is say the word and 12 legions of angels would come to deliver. And Father, we're connected to him. We're connected to the one that the angels pray to. <laughs> the one that Michael refers back to. The Lord rebuke you. We're connected to him. We're connected to the Lord. And greater is he who is within us than he who is within the world. Father, help us not to fear. Help us to trust. Help us to persevere. Help us to be obedient. And Father, we pray that you would be glorified and honored in our lives. In Jesus' name we praise you and give you thanks. Amen. I've been listening to George Lawson Jr. of Baltimore Bible Church. To hear other messages or to find out about upcoming events and where we meet for weekly church services, please visit us online at www.baltimorebiblechurch.org. Baltimore Bible Church reserves all copyright protection under applicable law. Our copyright policy is available on our website and includes instructions for and limitations on duplicating all printed media, CDs, and digital files.